always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Well, what falls under the category of stuff? I don't know. Maybe house plants, birding, insects, all kinds of things. And um, I've got really good experts coming up throughout the rest of the month to join me on the show now that we can have guests in the studio. Not that having them on the phone wasn't sufficient. Um, I really enjoyed that. But uh, coming up next Saturday, I'll have Jeff Roth and Rafael Santiago with Premier Tree Solutions. And that's going to be from um, 7.30 to maybe 8.30, right in the middle of the show. If you've got tree questions, um, not only about pruning and damaged trees and taking them down, but anything else, uh, Raphael on staff is a certified arborist. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then toward the end of the month on the 24th, Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University, entomology, and we've talked bugs with him before and some of the great research they're doing over there um, and how really Clemson, a lot of the work they do, they're working very closely with the University of Georgia as well. So um, I can't wait. And there are experts on Facebook, too, where you can find uh, many resources for some of your questions. And good morning to Jessica. She just sent me a message on the Green and Growing Facebook page with a picture of a mushroom. And she said it was kind of hard. It was growing underneath the apple tree. What is it? And I'm going to be honest. That falls under the category of stuff. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Mushrooms, I don't really know. There's thousands of varieties and different types. But I turned her on to this Facebook group that I'm a part of, and, and you may take interest in this, too. Um, if on Facebook you search Mushroom Hunters of North Georgia, uh, that group is a hoot. That that group is really funny, but that's very good for people sharing pictures. And then within the comments, within minutes, you'll have somebody identify um, a picture of a mushroom that you post on that. So thanks for that, Jessica. That's that's a good reminder to share that with people because I, I don't know mushrooms. Uh, lion's mane is one of the only ones that I really know and could identify. It's like a furry, big, bulbous kind of white mushroom is, is pretty neat. Um, but something to think about when you do see mushrooms at the base of a tree, uh, that is an indicator of rot within the tree. But she said it was just under her apple tree, so maybe it was growing a little ways away, in which case that's fine. But always kind of keep that in mind to be on the lookout if you've got mushrooms growing at the base of a tree. Generally speaking, there is some kind of rot, there is some kind of weakened spot where that mushroom is taking advantage. So just something to Maybe be leery about uh, 404-872-0750. I also wanted to give a quick answer to uh, Aida, I think was her name. She was calling with a question about orchids. And I love talking about orchids. Um, now that I have finally found ways to be successful with them, it took me killing, oh, I don't know, four or five over the years to, to finally figure this out. Um, I've got two that are still alive. Generally, you know, they bloom once a year, but if you're really lucky, uh, you can have a second second set of blooms on them. But she had a question about cleaning the leaves. Um, and yes, those broad, pretty leaves of an orchid plant, I would clean them. I, I would clean the leaves for almost any house plant. And you know what's funny? There are products out there that promise to make the leaves shiny and, you know, do all of these things. And guess what? Those products are water-based. They may have mineral oil or some kind of lemon juice or something else in it. Uh, but the fact that they're water-based, guess what? All you need is water. Um, with a damp cloth, a damp rag, even a paper towel, um, it would it would probably be a good idea to wipe off the tops of the leaves and get, I mean, for me, dog hair. Shadow walks by all of my houseplants 
continuously. So that and dust, just take that off. I mean, the leaves have pores just like we do. So those don't need to be clogged up. They need to receive all the sunlight they can. You've got them near a sunny window. So um, that's going to be your best bet, just using water, keeping them clean. And you can even check the undersides of the leaves at that time. It's probably not a bad idea just to be sure that you don't have any kind of spider mites or bugs or something like that. Um, so just check in with your house plants regularly. 404-872-0750 here for you until nine o'clock. And then I make way for Dave Baker and the Home Fix It show. Up next, it's David and Tucker. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> enjoying the lack of watering I'm having to do right now. Right. I know. And turn those sprinklers off, guys. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, there's a disadvantage to doing automatic and just walking away. Yes, um, right. Uh, a couple of questions okay. here. Um, one is if you're combating uh, some of the beetles you're mentioning uh, in the lawn, uh, how do you avoid harming your fireflies? Um, and other question is I heard a news report, not an internet weird thing, um, about a undiagnosed. Uh, bird disease on the East Coast that's moving down south is uh, impacting young birds in particular and uh, resulting in a lot of uh, discharge from the eyes and nose. Ooh. And wonder if you've heard anything about that. No, I haven't. So tell me, tell me uh, what the source is and kind of what you've heard. Well, this was one of the national news um, on the hour programs. Okay. And that is really the extent of it. They had not determined whether it was a virus or a bacteria, anything like that. They just said it was causing um, you know, instability in walking and flying and apparently had uh, occasion, some, at least occasional lethal consequences. And they advocated uh, people using a 10% bleach solution on their bird feeders just to sterilize those on a frequent basis just to try to keep the spread of the disease down whatever it is wow no i hadn't heard about that the last thing i heard about um salmonella outbreak and a lot of birds from california were migrating this way and and transmitting and carrying that salmonella over to us and it was affecting um oh it was affecting one one type of bird in particular it's right on the tip of my tongue uh not chimney swifts it was almost like kind of an invasive bird like we just had too many of them um in the spring and they would just fall over dead. It was it was terrible. And so keeping the feeders clean and, and the bird baths and stuff clean, I mean, that's key, too. Um, and, I, and I always take that opportunity to mention hummingbird feeders as well. You know, with the light shining through the glass or the plastic with the sunshine beating in, that creates kind of an environment for um, mold, you know, to come on a little more quickly in the hummingbird feeder. So very important to change that water and to clean those out, I would say, every week or two. But, no, I definitely need to, to look that up. Thanks for sharing that. Ooh, poor guys. Yeah, this report only came through about three or four days ago during, you know, around midweek, and I was, you know, haven't found any additional information on it. Like, like I said, the uh, the news report wasn't highly informative because they didn't have a lot of information to pass on. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I would not report on a story until I had the full story. You know what I mean? Like, let's not mm -hmm. cause panic in people until we actually know what's going on. Um, and then your other question was about what treating beetles and looking out for the fireflies. Right. 
Yeah, so fireflies, you know, we, we really start to see them at dusk and everyone's really enjoying maybe the common eastern firefly, things like that. So they start off, you'll notice, and even as a kid, we've always watched this, you'll notice they start out flying low to the ground and then the darker mm-hmm. it becomes, they start floating up higher and higher into the trees and things like that. So there's still a concern though, yeah, anytime you, you use a pesticide um, on the lawn that they're going to get a little too close to it. So just avoiding pesticides really in the landscape altogether, or at least limiting them, um, certainly will help fireflies. But I almost wonder, you know, I don't know what the residual is, David, but, you know, when you're doing something around lunchtime in the beginning of the day, um, you know, being leery that fireflies are going to come out hours later, maybe some of it would wear off, um, not applying pesticides that late in the evening because that's going to be when they're when they're out. Um, and also something else, too. We do want to attract fireflies. We love seeing lightning bugs. Turning off outdoor lights at night uh, during the warmer months because light pollution is such a disruptor and such an interrupter to firefly mating and things like that and also other insects. It kind of confuses them as to what time of day it is. So that's kind of a important thing, too. But, yeah, I mean, read the labels of these insecticides and these pesticides, guys, because a lot of them you can get what is targeted to the insect that you're, you know, really after, not this broad scope, I want to kill everything um, kind of operation, but really being a little more diligent about talking to the people at the nurseries and and doing your research maybe on uh, the University of Georgia's extension website about exactly what chemical is going to be most effective to treat what pest you have. But yeah, David, that's a great, that's a great point. Okie dokie. Well, right. Have a good day. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you come up with next week. Thank you so much for always being a good part of the show. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, talk to you soon. 404-872-0750. Up next, got Mike in Dawsonville. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Ashley. What's going on? I have a question about abelia shrubbery. Okay. I've got uh, kaleidoscope abelia. Oh, that's one of the best. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also uh, glossy abelia. Mm-hmm. But every year, in the spring and the summer, I get shoots, individual shoots that stick up higher than the rest of the uh, shrub. And I was wondering if I'm supposed to prune those in the summer, or should I just prune those when I normally do in December, January, or February? I think it's really up to you um, as far as just cosmetic and how it looks. Um, I would just kind of prune it. If it's bothering you as it's, you know, suckering and as it's shooting up, then I would go ahead and remove it. But if you don't want to create the extra work for yourself, just do it uh, when you normally do. Okay. So it doesn't uh, really make any difference. Uh, If I can wait, I wait. And if I don't like it, I'll go ahead and cut it down. Then. Absolutely. Yep. I'm on board with that for sure. Okay. All right. That's what I needed to know. Thank and, you very much. And when do you normally prune, just to make sure? Well, I've got uh, Walter's uh, pruning chart for various Look at shrubs. You. And, Perfect. And it says December, <laughs> January, or February. Oh. I usually do it in February. You're good, Mike. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Walter's pruning calendar is incredible. It was shared in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution years and years ago. Um, and then here we are looking at it as well. So that's, that's, yep, that's perfect because it grows on new wood. So anything you're going to be pruning in the spring or early summer, you're cutting off, you know, new growth. So that's great. Yep. That's perfect. Right. 
Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Glad you called. Have a good morning, Mike. Go enjoy another cup of coffee. You deserve it. All right. 718. We're coming up on a check of traffic and weather. We'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and more calls. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Already like 71 degrees out there. It's going to be a warm day, but we're going to have periods of uh, showers. It's summertime in Georgia, in the southeast. I just lost the weather forecast, but I think from memory I can tell you that it's going to be like the same today through at least Tuesday or Wednesday. Highs are in the upper 80s, lows in the low 70s. Uh, chances for thunder showers really increase in late afternoon and early evening, so have that umbrella handy. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, with all this rain and the soil's wet and all of that, that could be good for fertilizer. Uh, Fertilize the flower beds that need it and pots to keep colorful blooms coming, especially some of those summer annuals. Uh, Slow-release granular fertilizer, that's really going to be every four weeks, so that's not often at all, versus water-soluble like the blue stuff. That's going to have to be every one to two weeks. That leaches through the soil a lot more quickly. Um, Osmocote, that's a great brand. Uh, You see it in Pike Nursery. It's got a pink lid or part of a pink bag. Uh, Smart release, but basically it is slow release as well. The the granule breaks apart when it's it's wet. It kind of, you know, uh, weakens away the, the sheath, the outer coating. But the nutrients are released with the change in temperature. So warmer weather, everything heating up. Um, allows that fertilizer to really get in. Number two, be water wise, guys. Adjust automatic sprinkler times when it rains. Um, when we do go through these periods without rain, always wise to water early in the morning before 9 a.m., 10 a.m. to avoid evaporation. That way you're not wasting your time. And number three, just kind of a reminder, watch out for lace bugs. You're going to see those symptoms on the leaves of your plants. Just the leaf is going to look lazy because the lace bug is eating away at the green part of the leaf. So bio-advanced tree and shrub insect control, that's going to work. That's going to work on beetles too. All right, up next, holding from Tucker, Georgia, it's Yolanda. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. What's going on? I've got a pomegranate, and I put it in a pot. It's about three years old, and it's grown pretty tall, and... The flowers are great, but they don't stay on. They all fall off. And I was, um, I bought it because I want fruit. <laughs> hmm. Now, has this happened all three years or no? It didn't really do much last year. Okay. So this um, is really the first year you're even getting flowers, and then it just kind of aborts the flowers. Right. Huh. Okay. Well, this... I thought it was the moisture, all this rain, because mm-hmm. then the flowers stay wet and then they fall off. So I moved it, but that's not helped. Well, and let's make sure, let's go back to how you planted it. Um, is the soil kind of loamy? And by, by loamy, I mean, you know, it's got that nice mix of not only clay and dirt, but a little bit of sand, things in it so that it drains well? It drains well, but I don't think I put a bunch of sand in it or anything. Okay, as long as it drains well, you've got it in full sun, at least six hours um, of sun a day. Those do well in our, you know, hardiness zone, zone seven, um, and climates that are warmer. Let me look a little bit into that here as we go into the news break, Yolanda. Uh, while Robin's doing the news, I can certainly find out what the cause may be 
fruit aborting flowers because I know um, a lot of different plants will will drop buds and things for for different reasons. But pomegranates specifically, I wonder why. And then once the flower drops, obviously, I mean, you're not seeing the fruit right no. then because the fruit no, should... the whole flower drops off. Oh, okay. And you know, at the base of the flower, it's got the shape for the pomegranate. Exactly. Leaf. Right, so, right. I mean, the, I don't know what you call it, the outside rind. Yeah, yeah, that blossom end. The and fruit kind of pushes out from above it. Off. There's nothing left. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into that. I've got a publication right here um, from the University of Georgia Extension. Let me read a little bit into that and see. I've never grown pomegranate, so I'm not sure, but this could be just some kind of environmental factor, nothing you're necessarily doing wrong. Um, So keep listening, and in about 10 minutes, I hope I'll have an answer for you. Or if someone else calls and kind of weighs in on that, too, 404-872-0750. Yolanda, I will take care of you for sure. Going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. I hope that if nothing else you can say about this show is good customer service. If I don't have an answer, I'm going to try to find you one. Um, And if I don't have it, someone else does. But hey, it's Green and Growing. I'm Ashley Frasca. Uh, part of the traffic team, triple team traffic Monday through Friday morning. And then I get to do this on Saturday mornings. This is a great way to ease into your Saturday morning. Nothing political, no angry stuff, just gardening and being outside and and enjoying it for what it is. Uh, Last week, I was really glad to have Mark Banta from the Piedmont Park Conservancy tell us about some fun things going on at the park. I believe that picnic in the park is coming up Uh, next week. So you'll want to check out piedmontpark.org to get involved in that. And still a lot of local master gardener groups are doing their lecture series and online webinars and things like that for you. So you may want to check that out. I know there's probably a master gardener group in the county that you live in, or there may be a few counties that come together and do programs, but a lot of that stuff is free. Take advantage of those online webinars and series. Some of them are at lunchtime, Um, Most of them are an hour long Some are in the evenings Just whatever fits your preference And whatever topic you like If they're talking about a topic that you like Register for it It's it's really a a great resource 404-872-0750 Okay, so just before the news break uh, Yolanda in Tucker called about her pomegranate And it was just aborting flowers, right? It starts to bloom maybe in April, May um, And then it was just dropping the flowers So a good reason for that could be lack of pollination. Um, pomegranate trees are self-fruitful, and that means they do have both male and female flowers. And the female flowers are the ones that get pollinated um, and then become fruit. And pollinating insects flying around, hummingbirds, that's going to help spread the pollen. So male pomegranate flowers, they have nothing to offer, so they're going to fall off naturally. Um, and then the unfertilized female blooms, they're going to fall off too, Yolanda. So that might be it. Um, that might just be that they weren't being fertilized. We can a- also help that along. You know, if you haven't attracted 
hummingbirds and insects to your yard, that's going to be a problem in fruit production. So you can help that too. Walter always used to say with tomato plants and things, use just a small paintbrush or a toothbrush or something like that and lightly just brushing from bloom to bloom and you're kind of doing doing it for the plant. You're transferring that pollen. Um, I was thinking environmental conditions. There are some things, I think Rose of Sharon, uh, there's some other flowers that I had in mind that have bud drop, you know, where the bud before it even opens just drops. And in, in my mind, that was due to any late cold snaps um, and anything like that. But obviously this late in the season, that is not going to be affecting the pomegranate. So just by process of elimination, um, I think that's probably going to be it. They're not getting for, uh, pollinated and then you're not going to get fruit. So uh, Mickey Gasway weighed in as well. She said the best pomegranate for getting fruit is one named Wonderful. So uh, the variety Wonderful is going to be a good a good one to give you some pomegranates. Um, and I'm doing figs, and I've never, ever grown a fig, and I'm really excited about my Little Miss Figgy um, from Southern Living. And I do have one baby fig on there. It's still very tiny and very uh, green, but I'm hoping that that is going to... Um, actually give me some yield. I don't know what I'm going to do with the figs once I once I get them, but I know pomegranates are just as exciting. So there you go, Yolanda. That's going to be it. Make make the landscape and the garden a little more inviting for pollinators. Have those hummingbird feeders out. Um, and those red flowers are really going to attract hummingbirds anyways, just naturally. So do what you can to invite them to the yard. 0750. Up next, we talk to Ted in Covington. Hey, good morning, Ted. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, my question is, does the Department of Agriculture monitor the percent, the germination percent of seeds that they sell in the catalogs? And how about the uh, feed and seed stores? And also... How, how long can I keep garden seed? Uh, you know, to your first question, I would imagine they do, but that's a great question. And I also wonder, you know, all the seed companies that sell to nurseries and big box stores, you know, nurseries like Pike, they, they must track their inventory, you know, to see really what's selling well and what's not. And really, this is year number two. Um, coming out of the pandemic, you know, last summer, so many places were sold out of seed because everyone was thinking victory gardens. Everybody was home and we were a little fearful and we wanted, you know, self-reliance as far as what we were growing. So I wonder if that trend is continuing for this year. I never heard of any seed shortages at Pike this year, but I know that some places did experience that. I want to ask that question to um, Jimmy Adams. He is the owner of Adams Briscoe Seed Company down in Jackson, Georgia, and I've had him on the show. Um, it's been it's been a little while, but I bet Jimmy would know exactly what's going on um, with you know the U.S. Department of Agriculture, how they track that and all that kind of thing. So great, that's a good show topic. Thank you, Ted. Um, and then the second part of your question was what just how to store seed and how long can I sort store them? Yeah, what are you looking to uh, store? What seeds do you have? Okay, well say. Uh, Say I, I would like 25 squash seed, and I get a packet, and it has 50 in it. Uh, can I put these in an airtight container, uh, plastic airtight container, and keep them till the next year? I keep them, you know, in an airtight container like I just said. And 
you know, cucumbers, uh, maybe some corn. You know, I, yeah, I've got good news for you there. As far as vegetable seeds go, um, generally, this doesn't apply to all, but generally three to five years um, is is viable to store those seeds. And you're doing exactly right. Airtight, no moisture, um, you know, a decent room temperature, kind of a comfortable 60, 70 you know, no no hotter than 80, I would say, degree um, if you store it in a cooler place like a garage. I don't necessarily know that refrigeration does much. Um, I don't feel the need to, but I have kept seeds just actually in the packet. I've kept them in the seed envelope that they came in. I've taken out what I've wanted, taped it back shut, and kept it cool in the basement. And I used a lot of those seeds this year from last year and have had no problems with my pepper plants and my tomato plants and even zinnia seed. Um, so yeah, three to five years is a general rule of thumb. As long as you don't get it wet, you keep it at a, a decent, you know, cooler temperature. I think that should be fine. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank well, you. You're welcome. And thank you, Ted, because you're getting all the credit. If I have Jimmy Adams back on um, from Adams Briscoe Seed Company, these are great questions that I could ask him. His family's been in the business for generations and that's uh, something that I don't know as much about but you know a generational thing and farming handing down and sharing seeds I think that's great so good to be thinking about that thank you so much all right up next head to North Fulton County and talk to Debbie calling from Roswell hey Debbie welcome to the show good morning I really love your show thank you Walter's information about fertilizer was really helpful wasn't it though I know feel prepared for next spring Mm -hmm. um I have a very thick layer of mulch. It's a couple inches deep. It's on my vegetables, herbs, and flowers that are in containers. I remember him saying years ago to put, you know, a good amount of mulch down. Um, So it's tricky and very time-consuming to move the mulch to put granular fertilizer, um, and I can only do it in a small area in each one of those pots. Mm -hmm. I think I planted too much stuff. So if I put fertilizer, the granular, on top of the mulch, is it useless? I mean, am I wasting it? Am I just fertilizing mulch? It's it's not useless, but it's going to take a lot more time to be effective because it's got to work its way down. You know, As it's broken down and that sheath is broken down by the water, it's going to take that much longer to leach down into the soil where it really needs to be. Um, and the mulch is just going to kind of repel it. You know, it's not... It's not taking or absorbing any of the nutrients from the fertilizer. So aside from pulling that mulch back and letting it really get kind of to the root zone there at the top layer of soil, um, a liquid fertilizer may be, you know, a little more efficient for you, but then the downfall there is having to do it a little more often. But if you've just got annuals and things like that in pots, um, I mean, as long as they're thriving, you know, in the sunny conditions that they need and stuff, you may not have to fertilize, but once or twice. Okay. Yeah, so I liquid one fertilizer flower that really likes to be fertilized. It just, yeah, I think I chose wrong. Uh, what what is it? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay, it's a bluish flower. It's beautiful. Hmm. It would be a great red, white, and blue flower companion. Um, it's a little delicate bloom, but okay. it's just not happy in full sun without fertilizer. Yeah, shoot. And, you know, too, if it's a little more delicate, anything that's companion planted with it could be kind of a little bit tougher and sturdier in stealing kind of the nutrients that it wants. So you're right. It could just be the one that's the the weakest link for sure. But, um, yeah, maybe a liquid fertilizer may be the way to go for you, Debbie. That way you're not. But the mulch, I think that is so important because it's going to keep the plants happier, keeping that moisture in. 
and really out in the landscape and some of the flower beds and things like that, that thick layer is really the only thing that prevents the weeds. You know, if you just put it on an inch thick, weeds can push their way through that. But the thicker it is, maybe two inches, um, really combats, you know, having to weed. But in pots like that, thick is still good because it, it creates that moisture barrier so the plants don't dry out. And it keeps well, rodents from digging in there, too, from time to time. They just bake in the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're up on my deck, which is the only place they get sun, and they don't get they get the bare minimum, but it is the worst part of the day. Right, so yep. I think I found that when, it, when a plant says full sun, you have to really think about what that means. Absolutely, yeah. And, and in pots, too, a lot of times we don't, we don't have a choice. We have to put these things in pots, you know, and if you have limited space and all that kind of thing, but it's, yes, that much more burdensome on you to have to water that often, yeah. And, I mean, I've even gone out in the hottest part of the day and scooted some of my pots in toward the house, like, I'm going to protect you from the sun on a really hot day, but then I think, okay, i got to move them back out, you know, so it's, yeah. it's a chore for sure. Well, I'm doing that for the rain. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you cannot handle any more rain. You know, it's like I've got an infant Yes, I know. I don't know what. Constant upkeep. And you know what I'll tell you, too? Every pot that we plant, you know, Debbie, and you know this, needs drainage holes, right, so that all the water can leach out. And for some stupid reason... The holes just aligned perfectly in my. I have a huge pot with a tomato plant on the deck, and the holes aligned perfectly with the boards on the deck, therefore plugging the holes. And one heavy rain we had a week or two ago, my husband was out on the back deck just watching the rain, and he's like, "Wow, look at that pot where the tomato is. There's like water like overflowing out the rim, out the the top of the pot." And I went, wow. "Well, you idiot! It it can't like move the pot." Like he wondered something was blocking the holes, so we got to watch out for that too. These heavy rains are great, but maybe Make sure those holes aren't clogged up so that that pot's not going to retain all that moisture. That will rot the roots really quickly with a lot of these little bedding plants. Well, if I could just ask you to do one more thing. Okay. I have a show um, idea okay. Ooh, for yeah. February or March. Okay. So that we are prepared when we go plant shopping in April. Companion plants. That's so a good you've one. you've got the spiky, cool, you know, your tall Spiky plant mm-hmm. that is your goes with your flowers. What flowers go with that? Because that might be what's taken all the nutrition from the um, penta and uh, whatever that delicate flower is. Yeah, I'm writing that down right now. You and Ted back yeah. to back, great show ideas. Yeah. Because yeah, Pike, you know their their whole campaign with companion plants is the thrillers, spillers, and the fillers, right? So you got the yeah. height, you got something around the middle, and then you got something right. flowing over. Um, So that's really good. Thinking ahead about that, maybe I'll say, I've got literally a day runner in front of me, March 2022, um, thinking about companion plants. Yeah, and just, yeah, which go together and they're not going to steal nutrients and things from each other and they can maybe attract, you know, they like the same sun conditions, they like the same moisture conditions. That's great, Debbie, thank you. Because I messed that up too this year. Yeah, just matching them together. um, one that didn't want a lot of moisture and one that needed it. And it's like, okay, well, got to move that. Or yes. I'll... Okay. I love that. And I'm writing it down and I'm even writing ahead of my day runner for next March idea from Debbie and Roswell. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank I you. love it. Well, I'm glad thank you, you called. Thank you so much. And good luck with the fertilizer. And you know what? Maybe just one more application um, is going to be, you know, okay. Um, Cause a lot of those annuals are going to start to die out. Eh, not not too long, maybe a month and a half, two months from now, some of them anyways. Um, so one or two more applications, Debbie, you should be set. 
super. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Have a great Saturday morning. 404-872-0750 after the break. Talking to JR in Riverdale. Methods of growing gardenias. Yes, there are a number of different ways to propagate those. So we'll talk to JR. Stay tuned. It's Green and Growing on WSB. Here's Ashley with a confession. I have a confession to make. I am so sorry uh, for those of you looking for the podcast of the show. I know we put up all three hours, usually every week, uh, commercial free. You listen to one commercial and then you can listen to the rest of the hour. So really an hour of radio when you take out news, weather, traffic, and commercials boils down to like 32 minutes. And a lot of you listen when you're in the car, listen when you're out gardening, landscaping. And I appreciate that. And that has fallen through the cracks. So I am getting right back on top of that to update that. Generally, you can find that at wsbradio.com. You click on On Demand and there's all of our shows um, where you can listen to the podcast. I promise I'm going to be better. We've had a strange couple of weeks um, around here. So it's been um, kind of at the bottom of the list. But thank you to those of you that are looking for it. Uh, today's show will definitely be up pretty soon, and I will, uh, likewise with previous shows, get those up there. Okay. Uh, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today and tomorrow got a chance for thunderstorms, mainly afternoon or evening, looking at a 30% chance for showers covering the rest of the day parts, and then it uh, continues into the early week. Highs around 88, lows around 70. 404 as promised. JR in Riverdale, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. Uh, uh, let's see, I just, you know, I came up with two other questions, but the uh, <laughs> propagating the gardenias, I remember just cutting them about 8 to 10 inch, uh, you know, of, the, of one of the stems and just letting it sit in water till some roots came out of it. Mm-hmm. And or was it that you put some growth hormone on the end of the stem and then put it in some pyrolite, you know, some light uh, growing medium and keep it moist until it gets some roots and then transfer it to a pot. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is that one method or is that two different methods? Um, two different methods, but honestly, you can use the rooting hormone when you try to, you know, do it in water and let it grow those roots. Um, and I just recently did that for the first time with a Confederate rose. Mickey Gasway gave me a cutting of a Confederate rose. And I mean, the, the stem that she took, the limb is probably about two feet high. Um, and with a gardenia, obviously, it's not going to be that big, maybe at least six to eight inches, um, if not a little more. And removing the bottom sets of leaves, you know, closest to the cut. But it's got to be a healthy um, branch with a lot of leaves on it. And when you put it in water, you really think, okay, this isn't going to work. But it takes weeks. Um, And at that point, before you put it in water, you could certainly put a rooting hormone on it. um, And it's going to stay in that water. And be careful of mosquitoes when you have that still water um, laying around. But yeah, once it once it sprouts roots, and then the best time to plant it is going to be, you know, maybe in the fall. So if you're doing that now, it could be ready by August or September to try to put in the ground. And also, JR, um, air layering someone to the show either last week or the week before called about that too. I forget if we were talking about a hydrangea or what we were talking about. Uh, yeah, maybe it was a hydrangea or an azalea or something. But if there's a low branch on an existing gardenia, Uh, plant that you've got, scraping the bottom of that limb, the bottom of that branch and exposing, you know, some of the the material underneath the bark and just maybe putting a a rock or something on top of that to press that limb to the ground. Then it's going to come into contact with the soil and grow roots and leave it attached to the parent plant. 
give it a few weeks. You can occasionally lift the rock or whatever and kind of take a look. But once it starts to take and grow roots, then you cut it off. And again, another way for you to have a gardenia. If you want to hang on, if you had a couple other questions, we'll certainly get to those just after 8 o'clock. We'll also talk to Kristen. Um, Advice about growing plants. Okay, we'll see where that takes us. 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.